How's everybody doing? Wonderful, wonderful. If you are a guest here today, just know my name is David Hurtado. I'm the lead pastor here, and we hope that this place will one day feel like home for you, and maybe we would feel like family. And so to that end, I'll be outside on the patio afterwards. I do this every week. Love to meet people, hang out with people, and if you see me alone, I feel awkward, so come say hi to me. And so I'd love to be able to, to, uh, to, to kind of put a face to the name and all that kind of stuff. I, um, you know, before we get started today, I have a couple housekeeping items that we need to get to. Uh, and then we'll get into the message. Number one, and probably the most important thing, that's why I'll start with this. In fact, there's probably nothing more important that I'll say from now into the new year. So be, please be paying attention right now. And that is this, the NFL season starts this morning. And, and if you go out of your way and tell me the 49er score today, we will take you off our membership rolls. Don't do that to me. I'm going to go home. It's recording at 10 a.m. I'm going to watch it at 1 p.m. That game will be over. I, I already eliminated scores from my phone. I don't get updates on my phone. I'm going to go there and watch it as if I'm watching it live. All right? And you're thinking to yourself, he can't really do that, can he? Yes, he can. The elders gave me special approval <laughs> to take your name off the membership if you go there and you tell me the score. If you are a 49ers fan, you need to let me know because we will have you over, do a barbecue, and watch the game together. Um, I'm not allowed to invite Rams fans over. Um, actually, when I came to Camarillo, my landlord had it stipulated in the lease. Uh, you cannot have any Rams fan in your house, so I don't want to go and bre breach a contract there, and so I cannot invite you. Maybe, the, maybe he's a Raiders fan. I don't know, but uh, no Rams fan. Anyway, uh, so please help me with that and help me for the rest of the fall. That would be awesome. That would make, uh, make my day. If you want to see a very angry, upset pastor, tell me the score. Um, <laughs> anyway. Um, the other thing I wanted to, to talk about today, this morning before we go forward, is this card right here. Pull it out. Uh, this is the uh, Place Called Home card that you have in your program. I'd love for you to pull out right now. We're going to go over the things on the back of the card. We've told you a little bit about the organization. You guys saw a video today of Pastor Jim, who, uh, who, who runs that uh, city center out of his church. And he actually will be here next week on our stage to kind of give us some more details. And we'll get to interview him, so that'll be fun too. Uh, but here's what we're trying to do. City Center is a place that's trying to eradicate homelessness, specifically in the area of children. You cannot get into that, um, that facility unless you have children that are homeless or in threat of being homeless. So here's five things we can do together to help this problem out. Number one, diapers and wipes collection. Uh, you heard in the video today, uh, as many as 40 some odd kids are at that facility right now. Next door to them, they also have this other ministry called Tender Life, which is a teen pregnancy center where they house gals who are pregnant as teens and give them like a holding place until they can get into the city center themselves. And so diapers and wipes is probably one of their biggest, largest needs that they're constantly in need of. We are going to have a pod outside in our patio, a literal one of those pods when you move. We stole one. And we're going to put it in our patio, and we're going to fill it up with diapers and wipes, and we're going to fill that thing up, and hopefully we'll take care of their diapers and wipes issue until, you know, for a year from now, all right? And so the idea is everybody can be involved. I don't care if you're a college student and you have no money, you can go get a bag of diapers, cost 10 bucks. The big box costs 40 bucks. I remember those days. Wipes cost $5 for a bag of wipes. All right, so everybody can be involved no matter where you are in your life stage, you can be involved. That's the easy tier. We 
purposely do that. All right, so we say bring it back on, on September 30th. If you bring it early, we're going to burn it, and it won't be used for God's glory. So bring only on September 30th. Number two, a growth group dinner. It's really any group for that matter, but we just like to highlight growth group. If you're in a growth group or you have a group of individuals that you would like to provide a meal for the folks at City Center, they have this often. They have a big kitchen there. Uh, where they do meals together. And if you would like to say, hey, uh, families at City Center, we're gonna feed you on Thursday, November, whatever. And um, you can go there and feed them and then eat with them. And really just an effort for us to get around alongside them and realize how normal they are. Because I think all of a sudden we start thinking, oh, that's a place for those type of folks. No, 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 those folks are just like us. I'm just telling you, personality is great. Love the Lord Jesus, trying to make life happen. And so we want to get around them. If you and your growth group, or any group for that matter in this church, I don't care if you're, you know, the, the, the middle school, junior high staff, if you guys want to go together, go do it. Awesome. Uh, we'll set up a, a date, and we can have a dinner with them. Number three, outdoor movie party. We need 50 volunteers uh, on September 30th. We're going to have cooks. We need jump house attendants. We need rock wall attendants. Set up and tear down teams. The idea is, just like we did last month right here on our campus, we did a movie uh, presentation for all our young families. We had a wonderful time together. We're going to go do that for them on their campus. We're going to set up a, a, a movie screen. we have some jump houses, have a barbecue, have a wonderful time. Just a family fun night for them at City Center, a way for us to get our hands alongside of them and say, we love you, we're with you, we support you. We need 50 volunteers for that. You go to this Google thing and you can sign up with Sign Up Genius there uh, on one of those things. Number four, work day. Low skill and high school work opportunities. I say this on purpose because I know there's people in the room who are high skill workmen, meaning they do this for a living. They, they, they do tile for a living, they do plumbing for a living, they do construction work for a living. And when you get a guy like me to rub shoulders with them and say, hey, how to use this hammer? They go, oh man, do I really have to spend two hours and teach this guy how to use a hammer? No, you will not have to do that, all right? So uh, if you're a high school workman, they actually have three rooms. We're going to have a video on this next week. Three rooms that are ready to take in families right now, but they're not built out. And so, and they just got approved by the city of Ventura to, to retrofit those rooms. And I say, let's do it, guys. Hey, if you're in this and this is your world, this is your, your industry, I promise you there won't be a guy like you, right, like me next to you saying, what is a ratchet and where do you find it? You will only work with people who know what they're doing and we can get those three rooms up and running so they can get three new families into that place, all right? So a low-skilled workman like me, we can wash windows, things like that. Same day, you can sign up for either or. If you think you're a high-skilled workman and we demote you, don't feel bad. Number five. <laughs> <laughs> Back to school shopping. Uh, there may be some families here, you know, I want to go above and beyond all this. I want to actually meet with a family and take that family back to school shopping for clothes and work supplies, school supplies and all those type of things. If that's you, you're gonna hit the tent and we're gonna pair you with a family and one of their coaches there will make sure it's very clear for you how much to spend, how much not to spend, all those type of things and make sure that you get to go bless a family in that way between you, them, and the Lord Jesus, all right? There is a way for you to be involved. There's a way for you to be involved. And we want to make a difference outside these walls. We have a community impact value around here. We want to say we're going to get beyond these walls. And the community around is going to know that church does stuff for the community. Even if they don't agree with what we believe in, but at least they do things in the community. I want to give you a quick update, and then we'll get to, um, to, to other things. Uh, last year in November, you remember we took an offering. Remember that? We took an offering for another church in our city. It was a church plant that was struggling. 
and the idea was they're about to close their doors, and we said we're going to, in faith, take an offering for them, take one of our 52 offerings a year, and say we're going to give it to another church. And I told you guys, no matter how much money comes in, we'll give it all to them. I don't care what it is. I was thinking ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars is going to come in. You guys gave sixty-one, sixty-two thousand dollars, something like that. We gave it all to 101 Church that meets at the Roxy on Sunday mornings as a church plant. Uh, the, the pastor uh, who came that day, his name is Brett Martin, has called me recently to report this. They've seen a 25% increase in giving at their church. They are now at about 90% viability, meaning they need so much a month to be viable and sustaining moving forward. They're not there yet. We need to keep on praying for them, but they're at 90% of that now. They've seen a huge growth in that. They've seen 15 new people come this summer and join their church as faithful attenders to their church, and he's pregnant with a baby, a new baby. So uh, one of the things I love about these things that we do is we can do, it, you put ourselves in a place where we can do more together as a community than we can do individually. And look at that, I'm telling you, if this church makes it and is sustained long term, we are always gonna be tied to their history because we were the one who invested in them and said, when you're dying, we're gonna be there and meet you there. And that was you, that was you. And now we're trying to do it with a place called Home City Center. So please read this, hit the tent, and see how you can be involved in that, all right? Uh, Awesome, 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 awesome stuff. All right, so let's move forward here. I did something weird this week. I went, uh, you know, I was researching for the message, so I go to YouTube, of course. And so I'm at YouTube, and I decided I would, I would research Muhammad Ali. Uh, and, I, you know, those of you guys who are 20 years my senior got to see this live and in action. And here I have to go to YouTube and see, like, old uh, black and white coverage of this Muhammad Ali quotes and speeches. Um, and it was just an unbelievable amount of information that's written on Muhammad Ali. And, and, and the, the, you know, here he is, a prolific boxer, a prolific orator, a prolific fight promoter, prolific self-promoter. Uh, you, you guys probably remember some of the lines that he said. I mean, and he would do it over and over and over again. Something that I didn't know until I started researching this uh, uh, on YouTube. I think that's hilarious. Anyway, on YouTube, I'm, I'm looking at this thing. He would write a poem for every fight that he had. Did you know that? Some of you guys who were around back then, you might remember this. He would write a poem for every fight that he was going to get into, and the poem would go something like this. Uh, I'm really good. He's really bad. Here's a whole bunch of rhymes and rhythms that prove that, and, and a lot of hyperbole to suggest that I'm the best guy in the world. And he'd write these things, use rhymes and rhythms to accentuate his punchline, use extreme hyperbole to make his point. He was the guy who captured the art of the soundbite before there was even marketing companies that would even suggest that's a smart idea. I mean, he's just so good at self-promotion, uh, uh, fight promotion, and obviously that's very good when you're trying to sell a pay-per-view pay event, right? Uh, you want to sell these fights, and the more these things you sell, the more money you make as a boxer, because they all get part of the purse of, that, of, all, the, uh, of all the monies that come in there. He had some favorite, famous quotes like, float like a butterfly, sting like a... B, there we go, right? This is one of my, I never heard this one until this week when I started researching this. He once said, I turn off the light, I turn off the light switch in my room and I'm in bed before it's dark. I'm so fast. <laughs> he said that. He would say that. I watched the Ali movie several years ago and he was trying to communicate how fast he was. It was a big deal for him. I'm fast. I'm so fast. You know? And he was trying to communicate to this person on the streets that he was so fast. He said, put your hands like this and on the count of three, I'll punch him. And you'll see how fast I am. And so the person puts it down like this. He goes, one, two, three. And he just stands there. And he goes, did I hurt you? 
<laughs> just, this guy was amazing, right? And of course, his most famous line ever is, I am the greatest. I'm a bad man. I'm the greatest. Yeah, over and over and over again, he'd get, this, he'd get his like, corner to help him with these sayings and all this stuff. And, and, and you know what? While that sells a lot of tickets and fights and a lot of pay-per-view uh, subscriptions and, and made him very, very wealthy, self-promotion and self-aggrandization is not the way of the kingdom of God. In God's paradigm or in the economy of God, you don't use self-promotion and move up. You instead wait for the opposite. You wait for God to promote you. It's kind of like you give up to move up. So you give up to move up in God's paradigm. And it's very counterintuitive to everything we see in our culture today and, and everything that, that, that we hear about. And, and it's the opposite of what you would think, survival of the fittest and the whole bit. But in God's paradigm, you give up to move up. You give up to move up. And so today we're going to look at a passage in the Bible where Jesus describes to his disciples what it means to be the greatest. What does it look like to be the greatest? What does it mean to be the greatest? And we'll ask questions like, how does comparison affect our perception of greatness? And where does our desire for prominence fit in? How do I compare to the greatest? And how drawn am I to the lofty goal of prominence? Why do I always compare myself to others? And can I find contentment in my identity even if I never achieve that prominence that I'm looking for? We'll ask ourselves a question, can I bring myself to give up in order to move up? And for that, we're gonna be in Mark chapter nine. So turn with me right now. Hopefully you have a bound Bible with you or at least you have your tablet or your phone. Turn to John chapter nine. I'll be reading out of the NIV version if that helps you. Um, but we're gonna be taking a look at verses 30 through 41 together. Not a large passage today, but a great passage. We're gonna milk every little thing out of it. And the question we're gonna ask, uh, overarching question, in what ways can, can the desire for greatness lead to your undoing? And what ways can the desire for greatness lead to your undoing? And number one, we're going to see bowing to the God of comparison. In what ways can the desire for greatness lead to your undoing? By bowing to the God of comparison. When I always have to look around and compare myself to someone else to feel good about myself. I'm not feeling good about myself and my own identity unless I can compare myself to someone else and I win the comparison. And so how can it lead to my undoing when I, when I, when I bow to the God of comparison. Let's look at verse 30. It says this, they left that place and passed through Galilee, and Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. Now remember, we're in the phase of Jesus' ministry on earth where he's no longer looking for crowds. He's not afraid of crowds, but he's not looking for them. He is doubling down on his disciples. I'm going to be gone. I need to train them for when I'm gone so that when I'm gone, they still know what to do. That's the phase he's in, so he doesn't want anybody to know where they're at. It's kind of in hiding, in seclusion, incognito, so to speak. All right, and, and, and proof of that is what he's going to say next. And he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. That's not information I want all, everybody to know, because I'm not going to fight against it. That's actually what I came to do. I came to die, and I don't want people trying to rise up like Peter and defend me for me. I don't need more of those types. I came to die, but I need to prepare my disciples for when I'm gone. And so therefore, they're in seclusion. Three days, he will rise. 
uh, and they did not understand, according to verse 32, what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him about it. What in the world is he talking about? And they were afraid to ask him about it. In what ways can, you, can your desire for greatness lead to your undoing? Number one, when you start bowing to the God of comparison. Now, this is really ironic, and we've seen this in chapter 8 a little bit. We're seeing it in chapter 9. We're even going to see it a little further as we keep on moving in the, in the book of Mark. And that is, here is Jesus talking about the context of his future passion. He's talking about his death, his burial, his resurrection, and, and in response to that, the disciples are not hearing that. In fact, they're going the opposite, and they're, and, and, and they're, they're totally confused on the matter. And while this is going on, they're comparing each other. They're comparing themselves to each other. And so, something they didn't understand, something they've been struggling with for a while now, we saw in chapter 8, wait a second, Jesus, you can't die. That's not my idea of what a Messiah looks like. That's not what a Messiah is supposed to do or be. And so they're completely misunderstanding. In fact, the idea of that word understand there could be the same word ignorant. They were ignorant of what Jesus was talking about when he talked about his death, his burial, his resurrection. Ignorant of it. Completely ignorant of it. And so, I don't understand what you're saying. Uh, Peter didn't understand what you're saying in chapter 8. He asked you a question about it. He got rebuked. We better stop asking questions about this. And literally the idea becomes, it's kind of one of those things now where it's like, I didn't understand. I try to understand. I'm still not understanding. And so now I'm going to kind of tune you out. I'm tuning you out as it relates to your whole death thing you're talking about, the burial thing, the resurrection. I'm just not even listening anymore. I'd equate it to like a, a parent talking to a child, and you know how the child in teenage years just blocks out, no longer listening. I just put you in the lecture zone in my brain, no longer. They are not listening to what Jesus is saying on that matter. In fact, they're scared to say anything because Peter got rebuked for saying anything, and so they go quiet about it. Verse 33, they came up to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about what? Who was the greatest? Now, if you don't find the irony in this whole thing, here's Jesus saying, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. They'll beat me. They'll kill me. I'm going to rise on the third day. And in response to that, we're talking about one verse later, in response to that, okay, that's cool, I hear you, but who's the greatest? I mean, is it Peter? Is it John? Is it James? Those guys got to go up and see the transfiguration. Maybe they're the best. Man, I wanted to be the best. Why did they get to see that? And Jesus, why do you have this inner circle of people that are closer to you than the rest of the disciples? And I'm one of the 12, but I'm not one of the three. And so uh, who is better? Who, who's, when you come into your kingdom, who's going to be sitting at your right? Who's going to be sitting at your left? Who's going to have the, the prominent role? Who's going to be the one that's in, in authority over the rest? Am I, am I second tier? Am I third tier? Am I a fourth tier? Am I fifth tier? Where do I compare? Where am I in all this? Bowing to the God of comparison, arguing about who was the greatest. I'm going to ignore these statements from you, so much so, evidenced by the fact that the next discussion they have is about who's the greatest. Now listen, rank was a high value in their culture. Even in the religious sector, 
Rank was a high value. Rank yourself. Not unlike we do today. We do it ourselves. You know, where are you in the organizational chart? Where are you in life? Where are you on your, your career trajectory? All those type of things. Just like we value it, they valued it. And in fact, it was valued even in the religious sector. One of the things that the Pharisees and the Sadducees get chastised and criticized for often in the Gospels is that they would go to these weddings and these parties and they would require that they sit in the VIP seats of the party. And so when I come to the party, I better have a VIP seat. That is a ranking idea inside. And so it was very culturally okay to rank yourself. And here is Jesus saying, in the face of that, in the face of that, I'm going to challenge the very nature of that, that you would compare yourself to somebody else. I'm higher. They're lower. This is why I'm higher. This is why they're lower. I'm lower than this guy who's higher. I need to get higher. All that whole comparison, him, her, where am I at? Why them? Why not me? Jesus is going to challenge all that thinking and that thought process. Say, so you know what? Maybe you shouldn't desire the VIP seat. Maybe that shouldn't be the goal for you. Maybe the big comparison thing inside your heart, maybe that's a wrong motivation inside of you. I ask you in your own life, how often do you compare yourself? How often do you play the comparison game in your own life? How often do you to rank your own uh, um, contentment with yourself based on what somebody else is doing? How much does that affect you? Your positiveness, your negativeness, your, 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 your happiness, your sadness, your contentment, your depression, based on what somebody else is doing that has nothing to do with you. And that's what Jesus 